0: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com.
1: No purchase necessary. VTW group. prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The views and opinions expressed on the following program are those of the host and guests and do not necessarily represent those of any organization, including one generation away.
0: The freedom of a people to choose its leaders is the root of liberty. Keep
1: alive. This experiment in liberty.
2: Liberty, in case you've forgotten, is a soul's right to breathe. Government should be very minimal in protecting liberty. Peace cannot be purchased at the cost of liberty.
3: The sturdy ground of liberty. Liberty
4: once lost, it's lost forever. Fight for
3: their liberty and for our security. Guarantees individual liberty. This great
1: republic born alone in liberty. Liberty. Liberty.
3: Liberty. 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 Just how much do you want liberty?
1: This is Liberty Nation with Tim Donner, cutting through the double talk, Taking on the topics, going after what the politicians really mean, and making it all clear. For your freedom and your liberty, Liberty Nation. With Tim Donner. And welcome back into Liberty Nation, the last dying breaths
2: of the Republican Party as we know it. With the power structure of the GOP aiming its weapons of mass destruction at the interloper, the man now at the threshold of completing a hostile takeover of their party, we are witnessing nothing less than the greatest political realignment in 40 years, whether Donald Trump wins in November or not. Meanwhile, things could just as quickly melt down on the Democratic side as the Justice Department grants immunity and thus we'll hear all there is to hear from the man who set up Hillary Clinton's private server. We'll try to make sense of the political three-wing, three-ring circus that is the 2016 presidential election campaign and how a GOP-led forward into into November by Donald Trump might actually look when we're joined by Scott Greer of the Daily Caller from CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference, near D.C. And we'll top things off with Chewing the Fat, where we discuss trending topics and often overlooked stories affecting your liberty with constitutional lawyer Scott Cosenza of One Generation Away on the Web at OneGen.org, that's O-N-E-G-E-N.org. Well, it can now be said with an extremely high degree of certainty that barring entirely unforeseen circumstances, no Republican other than Donald Trump can possibly win the Republican presidential nomination on the first ballot. That became clear this week on Super Tuesday when Trump swept seven of 11 states. So. In their last desperate gasp for air, the Republicans will likely hang their hat on the Hail Mary of denying Donald Trump the required number of delegates to win on the first ballot at their convention. And when they fail, the party will belong to Donald Trump for at least the months leading up to the November election. But here's the thing. Whether Trump wins or not, the power elite in this party will be finished. Oh, sure, they could kick the trumpets out and restore power to the Chamber of Commerce corporate corporate is lead if Trump loses in November. But at that point, the trumpets will go back to where they came from and abandon their newfound relationship with the GOP. And all the party will have left is a shell of a Republican Party because their brand of republicanism has been so thoroughly repudiated, become so unpopular, so unattractive that they'd effectively be little more than a third party because as they've proven over and over again, they can't win national elections with the party they've built or destroyed, depending on your perspective. Now, consider what the Republicans did after Ronald Reagan. I mean, here's a guy who won back-to-back landslides, winning 44 states in 1980 and 49 states in 1984— Bush 41 won a de facto third Reagan term, but as soon as Bush was elected, the Republicans essentially renounced the very ideology that had made them a dominant party and proceeded to see Bush 41 lose to an obscure and tainted Southern governor and then nominate a parade of establishment losers like Bob Dole, John McCain, and Mitt Romney. So... In the midst of a revolution that's challenged Republican orthodoxy and brought literally millions of people into the party, just like Reagan, in an election with all-time record turnouts in virtually every state, all but one of the 15 who voted so far, a record number of record turnouts, here comes Mitt Romney, the symbol, the embodiment of Republican futility, to deliver a vicious attack on the man who now seems almost certain to carry the party banner forward into election. Now, we'll play you some of Romney's remarks and how they compare to the glowing praise Romney heaped on Trump when he finagled Trump's support for his failed campaign four years ago during our Say What segment a bit later on. But in doing the establishment's bidding, serving as their hatchet man, Romney represents the fulfillment of the hypocrisy and bankruptcy of the Republican establishment, which was so fearful of Donald Trump running as an independent that they forced him to sign that pathetic pledge, which only demonstrated their own weakness. And now, now, here's the GOP establishment itself breaking the pledge by unloading their full arsenal of heavy artillery on Trump. Now, how utterly ironic is that? Now, you might say, look, parties do this all the time. The establishments in both parties always have their preferred candidates and they always work to try and put their thumb on the scales. For example, the Democrats have 500 super delegates who'll support whoever the party tells them to support. All of this is true, but there's a big difference this time. And the difference is that the Republican Party is attempting to kneecap Donald Trump publicly in full view of the American people for all to see. Now, tell me the last time you saw a party publicly attacking the only man who can win their nomination, at least on the first ballot. How about like never? But therein lies the apparent strategy of what Charles Hurt of The Washington Times has called the losing club for losers, the stultified, calcified Republican establishment. They've now even given up on their previous strategy of trying to clear the field for the much-ballyhooed one-on-one race between Trump and their new golden boy, Marco Rubio, who's been dutifully taking his marching orders from the money changers since their real chosen one, Jeb Bush, laid an egg. But Rubio has turned out to be a surprisingly shrunken and small candidate getting drubbed by Trump in one state after another. John Kasich's in single digits, and the establishment detests Ted Cruz as much as they fear Trump. Yes, they know none of these guys can beat Trump, so they've now apparently decided... The only remaining strategy, aside from throwing literally tens of millions of dollars into ad campaigns supporting no candidate, only opposing Trump, is not to clear the field, but the opposite. Keep everyone in the race so they can collectively accumulate enough delegates to deny Trump the 1,237 delegates he needs to win on the first ballot and then throw the convention into chaos in a second ballot where delegates are no longer bound to the candidate that they voted for on the first ballot. Of course, if they did that, there's the little matter of thousands of people angrily protesting on the convention floor, burning down the House and making the riot-torn 1968 Democratic Convention look like a meeting of the local bridge club. You might remember that was the one in 68 in Chicago where riots broke out on the streets and there was radical revolt against the party establishment. Now, in a race that has now devolved to the point where the size of the frontrunner's male organ was actually broached on the campaign trail by Senator Rubio and then discussed in Thursday night's nationally televised debate, The Republican Party has neither a clue about the durability of this revolt happening in their midst, nor what to do to stop it. Of course, for a party supposedly founded on adherence to the founding principles, isn't it fascinating to watch them torture a candidate who actually comes far closer to what the founders envisioned than their own professional career politicians? You see, the founders, they probably didn't have Donald Trump in mind. But they did believe and stated repeatedly that this new form of government they established would find its leadership in citizen legislators, people who succeeded in real life and then were willing to step up to serve their country for a while in the Congress or the White House or local and state governments. They never envisioned, did the founders, career politicians, people who would spend their entire lives doing nothing but running for office. And therein lies the appeal of Donald Trump, a guy who his followers believe can bring the real world into the world of politics, unbeholden to special interests and fully prepared to take down the cesspool of corruption that's enveloped our national government for as long as anyone can remember. It's about as simple as this. The people are mad as hell, and they're not going to take it anymore. And so they're launching a revolution that, until Donald Trump came along, they never thought possible. And the Republican Party, as we know it, will be no more. So how does this imminent political realignment compare to what happened to the Democrats in 1964, the last political realignment comparable to what we're seeing in the GOP now? Well, we'll try and place the Trump revolution into a larger historical contest or context, I should say, and discuss how the Republican Party might look with Donald Trump at the head, and this week's ominous developments for Democratic frontrunner Hillary Clinton after a quick break when we're joined by Scott Greer of The Daily Caller joining us from CPAC, the main event on the annual conservative calendar. Quick reminder, though, that the podcast of Liberty Nation is available from iTunes and other fine
1: podcast providers. We'll be back. Liberty Nation with Tim Donner.
2: What we have heard here today has been a political spectacle.
4: We elect these guys to run the country. They're just not doing their job.
1: This is Liberty Nation with Tim Donner. Well, the Republican Party is
2: in the midst of a major schism. With the GOP establishment throwing everything at the wall to try and stop Donald Trump from forging perhaps the greatest political realignment since the South abandoned the Democratic Party over the civil rights issue in 1964. All of this as the Democrats face a potentially catastrophic indictment of Hillary Clinton with the news this week that the guy who set up her private email server was granted immunity so that he can tell all about how the whole thing was done. Joining us to discuss all this from CPAC, the biggest annual event on the conservative calendar, is Scott Greer, associate editor of The Daily Caller. Welcome, Mr. Greer.
4: Hey, great to be here.
2: Hey, listen, just give us an overall sense of the mood there uh, at CPAC at this time of upheaval with the Republican and conservative establishments you know, now in open and public sort of counter-rebellion against the Trump movement?
4: Well, the conservatives uh, out here, and especially in D.C. area in general, are not happy with Trump's continued success. And we've even seen that uh, here at CPAC. I mean, last night uh, when they were covering Trump and people were mentioning him when national hosts were there, people would boo. Uh, they would show definitely show their displeasure with Trump. And you're seeing a lot of these kind of people who are directly tied to conservative conservative think tanks and other uh, establishment groups who are very much against Trump. I mean, you saw this last weekend when uh, the Twitter hashtag NeverTrump caught waves, and it was used uh, for people to say, I will never vote for Trump under any circumstance, even if it's him versus Hillary Clinton or him versus Bernie Sanders, I'm not going to vote for Trump. So there is a lot of opposition Coming from the conservative establishment, even some in some ways more than the uh, Republican establishment. This is not necessarily saying that the conservative grassroots are the regular, you know, Republican voters share in the same type of strong opposition to Trump. But when you look at a lot of these groups here in D.C., there is that animosity.
2: Well, it seems to me that the the uh, mathematical formula that, that that pertains to this election is how many new voters will Trump bring in compared to how many traditional Republican voters will refuse to vote for him. And if that number is positive, he might win. If it's negative on the other side of the equation, he won't. But we don't know exactly how a Trump nomination would change the face of the Republican Party. But we, know, we do know it will change it substantially. What would you see the new GOP, so to speak, looking like if Trump is nominated? And how about if he's actually elected president?
4: Well, it's definitely going to change. I mean, he is bringing in a lot of working class voters. Uh, a lot of these people, uh, particularly working class whites, a lot of these people have been disengaged from the political process over several years. I mean, they think that the Republicans are, they have the stereotype of the Republicans as being too concerned with the interests of millionaires and billionaires And they think that Democrats are too interested in, in um, going for this particular special interest group. So they've been very dismayed by politics in general. I mean, last election... There's been a lot of analysis in 2012. There's like 5 million or so working class whites that didn't show up to vote that have showed up to vote in years past. And so with, if Trump gets the nomination, these people are going to be electrified. They're going to be going towards more towards the Republican Party. They're going to be a bigger part of that Republican coalition. At the same time, there's going to be significant groups that are going to leave. It's more prominent groups, not necessarily that are important um in a demographic sense, but are important in kind of the intellectual core of the GOP. It's definitely these groups in, in Washington, D.C. are people who are very much tied into specific ideologies, say they, they're diehard libertarians or they're diehard foreign policy hawks. These type of people will are very much opposed to Donald Trump. And if he gets the nomination, they have indicated that they're going to leave and even try to start a third party. So, if he, I mean, it remains to be seen if they actually take up on this promise or if they're just bluffing and you know just showing their anger that their particular candidate isn't winning right now but if they do if Trump does get the nomination and they decide to form a third party that is going to significantly shift the Republican party in terms of what type of policy it pursues and what type of and what type of agenda it sets in the national election
2: now isn't it interesting that you know over the past few years particularly since 2012 the establishment's been talking down the Chi party and the grassroots and their refusal to go along with a program that the establishment wants them to go along with, and, and criticizing them for not showing up in, in numbers, in great numbers, to vote for their candidate. Isn't what they're doing now exactly the same thing, saying they're going to take their toys and go home because they don't like the nominee or prospective or presumptive nominee that the voters have actually been choosing?
4: Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of hypocrisy here going on. I mean, you know, Trump was forced in the fall to sign the pledge that he will not go third party, that he will he will remain committed to the party and he will vote for whatever nominee that the party decides on in the primary. But now all these people who were cheerleading that idea and forcing it upon Trump, and they thought that, like, we finally got to Donald to do what we want, are now the same people who are tweeting out never Trump and saying, I will not vote for the the GOP nominee, and this is no longer my party, I hate the party, and doing all these things, which is, you know, they have said that whoever they pick, all the voters have to vote for. I mean, they even said this about Romney. You know, there was uh, some murmurs in the grassroots about uh, Romney, and they're like, "You better vote for him. Don't or Barack Obama gets another term." Now they're basically saying, "We don't care if Hillary Clinton gets gets to win the White House. We don't want Trump." And it's it's definitely hi- hypocritical, and I it's not going to make themselves look good to anyone outside of washington dc
2: okay we got just about 30 seconds left in that time word that the guy who set up the private server for hillary clinton has been granted immunity by the department of justice does this take the danger for hillary to a new level
4: absolutely i mean she could she could get an indictment right before election day or even after election day when she's uh President elect. So, this is another thing to worry about Hillary and another reason why uh, people shouldn't vote for her or should be hesitant to vote for her.
2: All right. Thanks for joining us. Have fun out there at CPAC.
4: Yeah. Thanks for having me.
2: That is Scott Greer of the Daily Caller talking to us from CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference. Quick break, then we'll come back with Say What Mitt
1: Romney versus Donald Trump. Liberty Nation with Tim Donner. This is Liberty Nation with Tim Donner.
0: Say what!
4: Say what! Say what! One more time! Say what! Say what! Say what! One more time!
2: Say what! The portion of Liberty Nation where we unveil some of the most wacky, astonishing, and damnable things uttered by politicians and the chattering class and This week, in yet another week in the season of discontent and meltdown for the Republican establishment and all they stand for and the candidates they push on their voters and their desperate clinging to their power as surely as their own voters who they view with contempt have been said to cling to their guns and religion, we got a perfect storm in their futility and cluelessness as they trotted out a two-time loser A guy who symbolizes their disconnect from their own voters. A guy who's probably the last guy Republicans want to be reminded of after his failure in 2012 against a weak president. The quintessential country club Republican that has so diminished the party's brand in the eyes of a changing electorate. Yes, with every candidate on their list having either pulled out of the race or falling hopelessly behind Trump, In a desperate attempt to stop the guy who Republican voters have made such a dominant frontrunner that the latest CNN poll has him leading by more than 30 points with 10 wins in the first 15 primaries, they trotted out Mitt Romney, a perfect symbol of all that's gone wrong in the Republican Party. But before we play at what Romney said on the day of Thursday's Republican debate. Let's give you some context. In 2012, Mr. Romney sought and received the support of Donald Trump in his presidential bid. And here's what he said at the time.
3: Donald Trump has uh, shown an extraordinary ability to understand how our economy works, to create jobs for the American people. He's done it here in Nevada, He's done it across the country. He understands that our economy is facing uh, threats from abroad. He's one of the few people who stood up and said, you know what, China has been cheating. They've, uh, they've taken jobs from Americans. They haven't played fair. We have to have a president who will stand up to cheaters. I think it's time for us to recognize we can't keep going down the road we're on. We have to dramatically change course. So I want to say thank you to Donald Trump and look forward to seeing you out on the trail. Thank you, Donald.
2: Oh, and my, what a difference four years makes, being the politician he is. Romney has now decided to accept the assignment of the money changers, unleashing a blistering attack on the character and beliefs of the same man he heaped praise on in 2012. If we Republicans
3: choose Donald Trump as our nominee, the prospects for a safe and prosperous future are greatly diminished. If Donald Trump's plans were ever implemented, the country would sink into prolonged recession. He would be very bad for American workers and for American families. But you say, wait, wait, wait. Isn't he a huge business success? Doesn't he know what he's talking about? No, he isn't. And no, he doesn't. His bankruptcies have crushed small businesses and the men and women who work for them. He inherited his business. He didn't create it. And whatever happened to Trump Airlines? How about Trump University? And then there's Trump Magazine and Trump Vodka and Trump Steaks and Trump Mortgage. A business genius he is not. Think of Donald Trump's personal qualities. The
2: bullying. The greed. The showing off. Let's break down some of the charges from Governor Romney. If Donald Trump's plans were implemented, the country would sink into prolonged recession because he would actually try to stop the Chinese and Mexicans and others from playing us as suckers in these trade deals that wrap themselves in the mantle of free trade, but in reality are building those foreign economies at the undeniable expense of jobs and the American economy. He'd be bad for American workers. That's the base of Trump's support who obviously, in the eyes of Romney and his establishment cohorts, are not smart enough to know that Trump is selling them a bill of goods. But then Mitt knows best about those little people in flyover territory. Yeah, the ones who refused to show up and vote for him in 2012 and now support Trump. And then uh, Romney writes off Trump's apparent $10 billion net worth, pointing to Trump's business failures, which is particularly rich when you consider how it was those businesses Romney took down or failed to turn around with his infamous Bain Capital. Remember that? And how Romney was successfully labeled a vulture capitalist? He says this as if every one of his Bain Capital's takeovers was successful. Right, right. And then he says Trump inherited his business. He didn't create it. When Trump actually did inherit a business, uh, he inherited a million bucks. And he's turned it into billions. And as if Romney was some rags to riches story, when in fact, he was the son of a very rich and successful politician, George Romney. So Romney, of all people, is playing the class warfare card. Think about how laughable that is. And then Romney delivers the ultimate in irony, calling out Trump for his greed. The very issue that sunk Romney's own campaign. Remember how Romney never even defended himself against the charge of vulture capitalism and greed? And now Trump speaks confidently of his own success instead of almost apologizing for it or pretending it wasn't so, like Romney did. You know, if you could have picked a worse person than Mitt Romney to call out Trump, I I hardly know who that that could possibly be. But as usual, Trump didn't exactly wait to hit back. He... uh, he fell back on his usual descriptive language to call out Romney's hypocrisy.
1: Mitt is a failed candidate, he failed. He failed horribly. And I wasn't happy about it, I'll be honest, because I am not a fan of Barack Obama and that was a race that I backed Mitt Romney, I backed him, you can see how loyal he is, he was begging for my endorsement. I could have said Mitt, drop to your knees, he would have dropped to his knees. He was begging. So, this is what it's come to, folks. This is what it's
2: come to. The loser from 2012 trying to take on the guy who so far has been the winner of 2016. And, you know, Romney is not stupid. He can see what's happening. He can see that none of these candidates can beat Trump. None of these other candidates can beat Trump. They can only try to maneuver him out of the nomination. And he knows all that will be left are the embers, a small piece of burning wood in a dying fire of a party establishment that had the formula for success, shoved down their unwilling throats by Ronald Reagan, then turned away from Reagan's principles and has failed in national elections ever since, with the exception of George W. Bush, who, like him or not, left office as a failed president whose legacies are the Iraq war and the financial meltdown. So, sure, sure, let's listen to these guys from the establishment and and dump the guy who's finally done what the party says they've wanted to do for years attract new voters, change the brand, expand the party, and create energy that's been missing ever since Ronald Reagan. These people really do think
1: we're stupid. And we'll be back with Chewing the Fat, Liberty Nation. With Tim Donner, this is Liberty Nation with Tim Donner.
2: Talking loud and saying nothing. You might wonder why we would use that particular bridge music into the final segment of Liberty, Liberty Nation. But we just do it to try and give you a head fake, maybe to see if you agree with it. Because as we uh, are now joined by constitutional lawyer Scott Cosenza, you get to determine whether he or I or neither or both of us. Uh, are saying nothing while we're talking loud. But as we do that, we welcome in Mr. Cosenza, constitutional lawyer from One Generation Away, found on the web at onegen.org. That's o n e g e n dot org. Also on Facebook and Twitter, applying America's founding principles to the issues of today.
0: Hello, Scott. Tim, I resent the 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 whiff of implication that my Pearls of analysis might even be considered anything less than so. However, you're not, don't.
2: not protective of my reputation. said nothing no, about circuit, whether people true, might, de- yes. might determine. About- well, look, one of us will speak loud and the other will say nothing and <laughs> we'll leave it to the viewers to figure out which is which. But let's do our what seems to be now our weekly Apple versus the FBI update.
0: Well, Tim, in the actual case concerning the phone of the alleged San Bernardino terrorist, uh, uh, the issue with the terrorist case, sort of an extraordinary issue. And you see, look, we're just asking you for this one thing, There's right? One time. And of one course, time. Th- this case, I think, shows the truth, which is this is a, a humdrum 2014 drug case. This is not uh, you know, some kind of spectacular terrorism case or anything. And this is the sort of thing I think that it does become important for us to be mindful of when we think about how these cases are going to play out. It is going to be a- an everyday thing. But in any case the search warrant would be applicable against somebody who owns the device. So in the case of the San Bernardino shooter, for instance, that person or the right. person who was alleged to have been that person did not own that phone. It was owned by their employer. And the employer right. said to the FBI, absolutely, you have permission to look through this phone. So there is no Fourth Amendment issue whatsoever because the owner of the device has said, we give you permission to look into the device. And in this case of the the, the, the 2014 case, I don't know what the name of the, the, the accused uh, drug dealer is, but. Presumably, he owns that phone, so Apple is a non a non-party in terms of Fourth Amendment in, in terms of the Fourth mm-hmm. Amendment analysis. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. don't have, you know, you have the right, Tim, to your data on your phone. Samsung doesn't but, but have a could sort have of issued, position. Couldn't in they
2: that. have issued? Couldn't they have issued a Fourth Amendment warrant against the entity, the company?
0: And no, because it, that, it's that not their property. The so it's, this is an issue compelling. Again, if you look at the locksmith example, which I think is pertinent, Tim. So if, let's say it's a person's house, right? The, if, if the federal government wants to break into um, Mr. Jones's house in order to inspect the contents thereof because they suspect uh, they may uncover evidence of a crime, they would get a, f- a search warrant against that house. But if uh, the owner of the house says, you can come and look. This would be the equivalent of the FBI going to the QuickSet Corporation, okay, and saying, uh, "Here's an order. Um, you know, you have to basically manufacture a key for this house." Well, it's not just the mechanics of it. It just the, a Fourth Amendment analysis doesn't doesn't really mm-hmm. come into mm-hmm. play here, and that mm-hmm. actually is one of the um, the main things in this case. If it really that and the and the First Amendment analysis, I think are 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 the whole of the case. And in this case, in this New York case, uh, Judge Ornstein said that. The Communications Assistance for Law Enforcement Act addresses the issue on point and basically it does not cover or include information services companies like apple and it 's up to Congress to then decide basically you know they have the power the law making uh, authorities have the power to either include Apple or exclude Apple or companies similarly situated, okay whether they are going to be required to do this kind of work and' it's, so far, anyway, they have not included them. And so therefore, again, according to this one judge in this one case, the All Ritz Act absolutely is not an appropriate um, measure of authority for for them to compel Apple to do it.
2: Well, I think what we what we learned this week, if nothing else, is that this case involving the San Bernardino terrorist is not, as the government has contended, a unique case, a one-time case, something that could ne- would never be asked or required, or ordered by the government again. But in fact, that it does open a a hornet's nest, uh, if you will, uh, if they do, in fact. Uh, If if Apple is, in fact, ultimately required Uh, to spend many, many
0: get your resume ready, because Apple's going to have to hire thousands of people to accommodate these uh, demands from government bodies.
2: All right, let's move on to uh, a subject that's becoming more and more predominant in the world of liberty. And that is the tracking of students in terms of what they do on social media, not in school but out of school as well as a school officials in huntsville alabama planning on tracking students social media accounts both in and out of school and that is some kind of precedent to set
0: yes Tim, you're exactly right you zeroed in on the important issue which is the behavior of students out of school on social networks that don't have anything to do with school. And this is about the Huntsville City School Superintendent, Casey Wardinsky, who appears to have some sort of Uh, I don't know if fetish is the right word or or bugging his bonnet about the way the students interact on social media and his decision to try to monitor it. He kind of got into trouble in 2004 when he he paid a former FBI agent hundreds of thousands of dollars to monitor students and was accused uh, by the ACLU of uh, basically zeroing in on black students inappropriate conduct rather than, than white students and now he has a new plan in 2016 that includes this sort of constant monitoring of, um, Twitter and Facebook and other social media platforms. And, you know, again, which may or may not be appropriate, but what is certainly not appropriate is, um, what we have in the story, which is the ability to punish students for posting videos of fights and other inappropriate, uh, con- and inappropriate in sort of air quotes there, right. Inappropriate from the perspective of the, the school, uh, administrators on their social media accounts and we we've seen the ACLU involved with uh, with the Huntsville school back in four and um, the recent quotes indicate that they do have knowledge of and are on top of this case and I just think that the the citizens of the Huntsville <laughs> city the, the taxpayers who are going to have to pay the award for the students that are uh, disciplined under this uh, really should just speak up now and, and, and save themselves several million dollars because undoubtedly it's a unconstitutional violation of their freedom of speech. If they are out of school, they're not on school property. They're not even necessarily commenting about a school You know, something that happens in school, right? This is just their complete and total private life. Uh, The school has absolutely no business uh, in being in that sphere to try to discipline or even inspect there.
2: It seems like that's an almost inarguable point. However, it's a point that now here in 2016 has to actually be argued that the school should not be allowed to track your communications when you're off their premises. Now we've got time to discuss one more thing which was an interesting development in the Supreme Court with the death of Antonin Scalia. It leaves a big void in terms of that big voice uh, uh, among what he he called himself an originalist or a strict constructionist or as seen in a political context the conservative part of the court. Uh, He gave voice to the opinions in a way no one else did Clarence Thomas, on the other hand, was the opposite, known for the fact that he would never say anything and never ask any questions. Well, that changed this week, didn't it?
0: Yes, sir. Uh, So Thomas is sort of famous execu- exactly as you said for being silent and he's reported to have said um, quotes like well I learn more by listening rather than talking and, and we suspect that some of the reason why he has been so silent was because of the sort of drubbing that he took in the national press um, during his confirmation and just spoke with his pen through his opinions uh, rather than from the bench but this week shock of shockers to all of us court watchers um, during a case uh, called voice uh, voicing versus us which concerns um the stripping of constitutional rights of people who uh were convicted of a misdemeanor uh domestic uh domestic assault uh or domestic violence and so thomas has been notable is always skeptical of these sorts of things and much like justice scalia was um and it's one of the the reasons why i think um He is a pro-liberty justice because what we have are some of these laws where they'll pass a law and it says, well, anybody who has been convicted of domestic violence, you're stripped of your firearms rights. And it all seems well and good, and we all hate people who are domestic violence accusers, but that doesn't take into account sort of – the marginal cases and the marginal cases may be you know a 50 year old male when he was 22 and involved in a volatile relationship there was a pushing and shoving match going on not some sort of brutal beating and the prosecutor charged him and just to get it away get it off his plate and move on with his life he took a plea deal of a misdemeanor conviction and the and his attorney correctly advised him that you know basically it wouldn't really amount to much of anything in terms of consequences for his Mm -hmm. life and then 30 years later the guy tries to buy a gun and all of a sudden it makes him a felon because of this federal law. So in any case, whether it's a good law or a bad law, it certainly is important, I think, to be respectful of the import that these laws do have on on people's lives, and that's what Justice Thomas, um, who none of the other justices were bringing these things up, and I think that you know we could see uh, Scalia would definitely have have been talking about that part of the issue uh, surrounding the case, and he didn't. The oral argument um, was going short. Mm-hmm. The 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 Solicitor General asked permission to sit down early, and Justice Thomas spoke up then uh, when nobody else uh, was going to, and and in fact asked about whether there okay, well, well, are that was going
2: short that was going short but we're going long and <laughs> we will we will sum up that portion of the segment by saying that clarence thomas was channeling antonin scalia uh in the supreme court this week thank you scott thank you tim and thank you for joining us that's it for this week we'll be back at you next week same time same station till then this is Tim Donner saying, stand up for liberty, and we'll see you next time on Liberty Nation.
0: With Lucky Land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere.
3: This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky.